Welcome to another episode of the Confessions of a Recovering Landlord podcast, where you'll learn the secrets commercial landlords would prefer you not know. I'm your host, Jan Gibbons, along with my co-host and experienced commercial real estate broker, Bob Gibbons. That's me. Brought to you by Riata Commercial Realty, where we exclusively represent users of office and warehouse properties. Landlords have representation. Do you? Welcome to another episode of the Confessions of a Recovering Landlord. You and I recently watched a 60 Minutes episode. I watched it twice. I just thought it was pretty fascinating, where the interviewer interviewed three or four different individuals from New York City, and it was all about commercial real estate and COVID and rising interest rates and vacancy and all kinds of things. And I thought he had a little bit different spin on it and several topics we kind of wanted to talk about today and flesh out a little bit about what they're proposing may happen to large cities in the future. So yeah. you ready to dive in? Whenever you're ready. Okay. The first one they talked about is the obvious elephant in the room, the decline in office occupancy. I'm not getting out of my Lululemons and driving 35 minutes and get into an office tower that's empty and doesn't have a deli there with a fresh sandwich for me. I'm staying home where the refrigerator's 20 feet away. Yeah, it was interesting that they were saying that the the square footage of uh, vacancy in New York City office is like 95 million square feet, which is Three more than- Empire State no, Buildings. 30. 30, 30 Empire oh, State Buildings. I it was three. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that's- when you put it in terms of like a Empire State Building, you know, that's a huge building. What is it? A hundred and something stories tall. But I don't know. It's Elf's forearm all the way down. It's <laughs> <laughs> the snow globe. Um, yeah. It's so a 30, Christmas tree. <laughs> 30 Empire State Buildings of vacancy mm -hmm. is pretty amazing. Now, I wonder how much of that is functionally obsolete, obsolete and really yeah. isn't. Give me the definition of that. Well, just meaning it was built for the purpose of being an office building, but it really can't be used as an office building anymore just because it functionally doesn't serve that purpose anymore or can't serve that purpose anymore because it doesn't have, you know, the infrastructure of power or, you know, internet or whatever. I I don't know. I mean, there there's some of that um, throughout the country. It's not just New York, but um well, so what you're basically saying is it's not just COVID related. There are vacancies due to other reasons. COVID right. is a huge catalyst, but there are other reasons. Yeah, I mean, there there is a certain amount of structural vacancy that existed long before COVID ever came around. I mean, in Dallas-Fort Worth, for example, I don't think we've ever been below about 14 or 15% vacant in the entire overall market. So, you know, how much of that is just going to be perpetually vacant regardless of market conditions? And and therefore, how much of that is what I would call the functionally obsolete? Um, the thing that would be interesting, and I don't really know how to do this, but would be to say, what was functionally obsolete before COVID and what's functionally obsolete today? Ooh, because yeah. that definition may have changed somewhat because certain buildings that just aren't going to be occupied anymore um, could be then called functionally obsolete. Now, that doesn't mean it can't be uh, functional for some other use. Like in this, art, in this episode, they talked about conversions. 
to other things, to, mm-hmm. to uh, apartments, et cetera. And it was interesting. One of the things they talked about, and they actually showed in this episode, was uh, a developer who had basically um, taken the building and, you know, you have this big rectangle and for residential use, you have to have, you know, proximity to uh, windows and an office that's not quite as required for certain uses. So what they did is they basically um, created this sort of chase or or uh, sort of interior section that they just walled off. And it was just going to be a void in the middle of the building that would be there forever and uh, wouldn't be used. And they for, could have a, a retro use later down the road for something. Maybe storage or something. But, yeah. you know, for the purpose of, of a uh, um, residence, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't functionally um, usable. So that portion of the building was functionally obsolete. So they basically I, uh, isolated the functionally obsolete portion and said, we're going to keep using the you know, functional portion. Right. And so I thought that was a real interesting thing. It, it's hard to imagine a lot of people thinking I'm going to take a building that has 20,000 square foot, you know, floor plates, and I'm going to shrink that down to 15. So I can use the 15 instead of leaving the 20 vacant forever. Hey, I thought that was smart. You have to learn to pivot in this uh, environment. Okay. The next item that they talked about was the financial strain on real estate. And everyone's talking about yeah. the mortgages come and do the mortgages yeah. come and do. And it, I mean, it's a real thing. I mean, there, there are, you know, what, what is it? $1.5 trillion in, in loans out there expiring in the next two years, they said. And uh, now and all those are not office um, buildings that are being uh, loaned on, but you know, it's still a huge amount and with interest rates being higher and, um, you know, values being lower, it's putting a huge strain on comp- on landlords to be able to refinance. And um, and there's a, there's an awful lot of companies that are out there trying to uh, find deals. And uh, but you know, there's that what we call the bid ask gap, where the the asking price is so much higher than the bid price of the buyers. And so until that gap kind of shrinks, it's going to be hard to see a huge amount of uh, transactions occur to sort of clear out this sort of problem that exists. Um, but, you know, over time we'll see, um, you know, and if interest rates come down, that's going to help a lot, but interest rates coming down right now, isn't going to suddenly change the dynamics of the demand for the office space and therefore the values of those office buildings. So um, yeah. So they talked about that quite a bit. And we've talked about that quite a bit on the show, so that's not going to change anytime soon. Okay. Well, you've kind of already addressed the next topic, which was building obsolescence and value decline. Yeah. I mean, the, the obsolescence, um, you know, I, I didn't really talk about the fact that your um, obsolescence has a direct impact on the value reduction. But in a way I did, you know, when the, the example we were saying the 20,000 foot floor plate, we're going to shrink it to 15 so we can use the 15 that shrinks the value perhaps unless the value of the 15 is bigger than the value of the 20 and the old use. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I think that's on a case by case basis. I, you know, they didn't talk about any particular um, um, values based on different uses, but they did talk about the fact that the value of office buildings have declined by as much as 40%. Uh 
and it's and that's sort of here in the aggregate i mean we're seeing certain buildings trade at much bigger discounts uh in fact you were talking about um one of the examples was these two guys that were mm -hmm. made a bid on a building tell, tell us about that well it was an eight-story building i think and it had different tenants in it and on the bottom floor was like a dollar general or you know trinket kind of store and before covid these two developers had called the owner and offered him 80 million for the building and the interviewer said what the owner say and they go we don't know he never even returned the call and the interviewer was just flabbergasted so same two developers recently you know a year or so after covid bought the building for less than half of the 80 million they were willing to give him four years ago. Yeah, that was uh, Tony Park and uh, Elad Dror yeah. uh, were the two developers, but, uh, and it was a 99 cent store that was on the oh, first floor. Okay. But, uh, and yeah, it was I, completely empty except for that 99 cent store. Yeah. And that's just, just shocking. I know. They, they waited four years and, unbelievable and what they were going to do with it i wasn't for sure i got the impression it was going to be housing some sort of apartments condo kind of thing yeah you know they i don't remember either you know as they they were walking the building as they were talking but um it, oh yeah i'm sorry it does say they have plans to convert but they didn't say to what so yeah um, they may not have decided on their hobby yet you've got to know your highest and best use before you're going to Pick what to do with it. Well, you know, the next big takeaway on uh, their their episode was the impact on real estate companies and banks. Mm -hmm. And they featured uh, RXR, which is a major New York um, real estate yeah. firm. And uh, and how they, they have all these buildings. They have, you know, buildings that are being defaulted on. Banks that are, are increasingly holding... Um, uh, empty or devalued properties on their books that they don't want. And, uh, and it was interesting because the, the guy from RXR um, or maybe it was the guy from SL green was talking about how he wanted 92% occupancy at That's all. That's Mark times. holiday with, yeah, he, he's, with, uh, he's with SL green. Yeah. Um, the Scott Reichler on RXR, just to go back to finish that he was the one that what was fascinating to me was he'd recently let a building go back to the lender. And the interviewer was like, what, what, why did you do that? And he goes, it wasn't viable. There, there was really no other option. However, let me tell you about my new investment. He'd already created a new fund, got a gajillion dollars and was out buying stuff to develop new things. It's just a, a tenant of doing business. It, it was pretty yeah. fascinating the way he portrayed trading assets this one's working this one's not we'll let that one go we'll build this one up it's it, it was tetris for him well and it was that example that you're giving is interesting because it shows that the building he let go back was the older building that wasn't well occupied that wasn't doing well mm -hmm. wasn't leasing but the brand new building that had far higher rents was what did 90 something percent occupied and Shiny. it was yeah, shiny. beautiful, shiny, et cetera. And, um, you know, I, I just think it's incredible to see this flight to quality that is really, it, it's a good example of why value is the issue. It's not price. Price is just one factor 
But mm -hmm. value takes into account your price and what you're getting for that price. And a lot of companies are willing to pay up for, you know, the price for the value they're getting, which is much nicer, lots of amenities, uh, prestige, something that's going to attract their employees back, attract their customers to the office, that kind of thing. So, but one thing they had said about the um, flight to quality or flight to AAA, however you want to look at it, is most people are reducing their footprint. Yes. So if I have 10,000 square feet that I'm paying 18 bucks a square foot, or if I have 5,000 square feet that I'm paying $30 a square foot, I mean, their rent could actually net out to be about the same because they've reduced their footprint. Right. And they're more efficient. They have hybrid work or they've let people go or whatever. So it is a flight to quality, but I do still think it's based somewhat in pricing because they've made the numbers still work. But I do think you're right. It's you're not going to get someone back into the office in a class B building, sadly, unless it's just a real esoteric use. Especially if it's a much bigger company. I, yeah. I still argue that so much of all this discussion is focused on the big, big companies, True. which are the ones that are shedding the space the fastest. But when we're talking about local companies, regional companies, we're- Mom and pops. Mom and pops. You know, you have a financial advisory firm, you have a CPA firm, you have a software development firm, you, you name it. You know, if they are um, a small firm, they're probably all still coming to the office. Not always, but many times. It seems like they're either all remote or they're all in the office. The hybrid thing is not quite as much as it is hmm. with bigger firms. Well, and I think it also depends on the age of the employee. If you're older and you have a, a home, a home office, and you can work, that's great. But the younger folk have kids at home or they've got to run to school and they need a place to go where they can have quiet Zoom meetings and conference rooms and that kind of thing. So I do also think it's the aging of the employee set that that particular right. company has. Well, the, okay. fifth, the fifth thing oh. I was going to think we're both going the same place. Uh, yeah. Their fifth point was shift in real estate investment and development. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, do you have a particular takeaway from that? Well, just exactly what we talked about with uh, Scott Reichler. I'm going to have to let this asset go, but I'm building this beauty over here. So I think that's... But this was also um, changes in investment and development. So this was also where they talked about conversions a lot. Okay, um, yeah. They uh, talked about changes in zoning laws and uh, and how that's going to affect all this. So yeah, it's uh, and and there was also a big issue with uh, affordability because you know a lot of these conversions are so expensive. It's really difficult to have any kind of affordable housing associated with them. But, you know, sometimes the, the financing is available for the affordable housing. So, yeah, I think the changes in investment and development is going to be different for different parts of the country. And, mm -hmm. you know, as we were talking about earlier, this, you know, using New York City as the proxy for the country can be a bit dangerous simply because New York City doesn't look like the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. um, it, it looks like other parts of the country, downtowns, et cetera, but it doesn't, you know, doesn't look like, um, you know, Plano, Texas, where we are, uh, because it's just structurally so different. Mm -hmm. And so I think the zoning laws that will occur uh, or that will be needed to be changed in a place like Plano will likely be very different than in a place like New York City. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then this is kind of what we led off with. What are going to be the long-term implications for cities knowing all this that we've talked about? 
yeah, I mean, zoning that we just talked about is certainly one of those things, but the the reduction in the values of these commercial properties are going to uh, have an impact on the revenue of the cities because the cities, in many cases, That's and the true. counties and the school districts and the hospital districts, at, you know, certainly in Texas, most of the funding for a lot of these <clears throat> municipalities and other governmental agencies comes from property taxes. So when the property values go down, the tax revenue goes down and that's going to have a huge impact on a lot of these cities. And then you take it one step further, San Francisco, let's say <clears throat> you have fewer people going to the office downtown, which means the value of the buildings are less, which means property taxes are less. But guess what? It also means there are fewer people shopping at the restaurants, the the little coffee shops, et cetera. Buying lunch, having a drink after work. Which means th those businesses have lower revenues, which means the sales tax is lower mm -hmm. and they may even go out. In fact, I just heard this morning that the toy store in, I think it's San Francisco, which was the basis for the movie Toy Story, is closing after 85 years. Sad, sad is story. Is it an FAO Schwartz or is it what no, kind of- No, it was an independent- Oh. It was an independent 85-year-old uh, toy store, a toy store, and uh, and they're paying like $20,000 a month in rent, and they're not getting enough mm -hmm. revenue from sales, plus one of their employees got stabbed, and the robberies, I mean, anyway, it just, a yeah. lot of things compounding, Crime. but the bad well, news you, is- You lose a mass downtown, the crime element comes in. And right. then that runs off more of the mass and then more crime element. So it's, well, it's a lot of these things you're mentioning are snowballing. And it's what they call the urban doom loop. Yes. That's what 60 Minutes yes. talked about it. The urban doom loop mm -hmm. where all this kind of stuff just sort of cycles and feeds off itself, right. uh, you know, in a downward spiral, downward spirals. <laughs> not sure I said that right. <laughs> okay. So let's not be the um, doom loop. Let's talk about potential for transformation. How can yeah, this be turned that's around? Sort of the last point of this uh, of this episode was sort of where is the optimism in all of this? And um, you know, I just finished reading a book which was called A Beautiful Constraint. Mm. And the whole point of the book was when you are constrained from resources you were forced to do things differently. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, Damon John from Shark Tank talked about how he didn't have any money and he was trying to sell his uh, first, what was it, hats or- you know, I thought, was it hats? Was Maybe it was t-shirts. It was whatever his urban wear company was and he was doing it out of the trunk of a car. And <laughs> so, you know, he had to do things differently. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs have had this, um, this story. And I think that's the same story that we're going to see in real estate. When we look back, you know, 10, 20 years from now, as to what happened to the office space in downtowns, to the retail space in downtowns, even the multifamily, um, I think we're going to see a pattern that had, had uh, come about due to the constraints, due to the uh, the needs that were created because there wasn't the demand for office space. What is that going to look like? I don't know. I mean, hydroponic farming, you know, <laughs> and and that's actually already happening, I hear. Wow. So, you know, if you can take the uh, manufacture of, you know, vegetables and fruits mm -hmm. out of, you know, 300 miles away and put it in downtown 
San Francisco, New York, Chicago, Dallas, um, and your productivity of hydroponic farming is so much greater than it is if you put it in dirt. Um, maybe that's something that would that will be seen. So agriculture may be part of it. Uh, there may be other things. Who knows what it's going to be? Certainly, self storage could be one. Uh, conversions to to uh, residential and hotels is certainly one we've talked about. Um, even conversions to industrial. And I think that's where when we start talking about uh, conversions in the suburbs in places like Texas and uh, other parts of the country where you don't have the concentration of people to really demand a conversion to high-rise multifamily, but maybe you're going to take a, a class B or C building, office building, demolish it and replace it with a, a warehouse or a data center. That would take a, a lot of zoning changes, I would think. It will. But again, that's where the this is going to... A city right now who's not feeling the pinch of tax revenue loss is going to have a whole different attitude towards changing zoning laws than <laughs> one that's hurting and is not able to pay its bills or having to lay off firefighters and mm -hmm. policemen and EMTs because they don't have the revenue. All of a sudden, they're going to get a lot more interested in uh, revenues and changing uh, the zoning laws to allow for other Accommodating. uses. Absolutely. John Travolta movie. That's probably <laughs> a good topic to quit on. <laughs> Was there any other points from that show you wanted to discuss? You know, the only thing I would say is that, you know, the, the, the show was really all about office and how our cities are so office centric mm -hmm. and uh, residential centric. You know, it, that's really, it's office, residential and retail to support those things. That's, that's what cities in the core have really been about most of the most of the time. Education is in there, governments in there a little bit, but even in in office, I'm uh, in education and um, and government. It's still in office buildings. You go to downtown Chicago, the the universities in downtown Chicago are in high rises, mm -hmm. so it's really an office building that's being used for educational purposes. So I think the whole point of this is that cities have been so office centric. They need to look beyond the office centricity and look for other ways to uh, fill their cities and fill their buildings. Yeah. Might be life sciences. Yeah. A lot of them are trying that right here in Plano. The old EDS building uh, mm -hmm. is being converted for life sciences uh, as, a, as a campus. Well, interesting. Stay tuned. I, I still don't think the South will be hurt nearly as bad as the North will probably be. Um, we seem to pivot a bit better, but um, stay tuned. Should be interesting. All right. We'll see you next time in the next uh, episode. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. And just a reminder to send in questions to see if we can stump Bob. Not going to happen. We really appreciate your taking the time to tune into this episode. We would love it if you would give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And if you are on our YouTube channel, we would love to read your feedback in the comment section. Also, be sure to subscribe so you get notified when we publish new episodes. Thanks and see you next time. Bye.